Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into the compelling and vital narrative of The New Jim Crow, written by the acclaimed civil rights lawyer and Stanford Law School professor, Michelle Alexander. This groundbreaking book sheds light on the stark realities of systemic racial discrimination in the United States, unfolding against the backdrop of mass incarceration primarily affecting African-American communities. The New Jim Crow offers a meticulous exploration of the so-called war on drugs and the role of a justice system that, while claiming colorblindness, has indirectly perpetuated racial inequality through biases in judgment and sentencing. Alexander's sharp legal insight and unwavering dedication to civil rights intricately dissect the facade of equal justice, revealing a modern iteration of age-old prejudices, ideal for those interested in the dynamics of racial justice, sociology enthusiasts, and anyone seeking to better understand the complexities of systematic oppression, the new Jim Crow is a must-listen for anyone committed to the idea of a truly egalitarian society. Join us as we summarize this essential book and unpack its profound implications on contemporary America. The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. Introduction, Unmasking the Reality of Racial Discrimination in Modern America. Imagine a nation that proclaims the ideals of liberty and equality, yet harbors a dark reality within its justice system. A reality where one's skin color could determine whether freedom is a right or a privilege. It's an unsettling thought, especially when the United States, this very nation, is in the spotlight. Today, African Americans are disproportionately more likely to be stopped, searched, and incarcerated, especially for drug offenses. This isn't just a mere statistic, it's a reflection of a contemporary system that echoes an oppressive past. It's the new face of racial control, akin to the Jim Crow laws, that once enforced racial segregation and relegated African Americans to a second-class status. How did the nation arrive at this point? Our journey begins with an insight into the war on drugs, a campaign with a hidden agenda. It wasn't just about combating drug abuse. It was a lever used by those in power to launch a system of mass incarceration, targeting African-American communities. Behind the gripping narrative of battling narcotics was a scheme to solidify political control and exploit racial fears. During the Reagan administration, an unexpected player entered the stage, crack cocaine. Its appearance was manipulated to ignite a media frenzy and public panic, setting the stage for stricter drug laws and an unforgiving judicial system. Contrary to the popular caricature, The typical drug dealer is far from the menacing figure ruling street corners. In reality, most drug transactions are less conspicuous and orchestrated by individuals of all backgrounds who never match the stereotypes. Despite this, African Americans are overwhelmingly the face of the drug war in the public eye and in prisons across the nation. As we grapple with these unsettling truths, it becomes increasingly clear that a new chapter in civil rights history must be written. To dismantle this new caste-like system, society must shed its racial etiquette that compels us to turn a blind eye to subtle and overt forms of discrimination. This revelation invites us to consider 
the motives behind the Reagan administration's emphasis on crack cocaine, the flawed societal portrayal of a drug dealer, and the urgency to abandon our current racial etiquette for the sake of justice and equality. Welcome to a sobering exploration of how modern policies echo the segregation of the past and an urgent call for a renewed fight for civil rights. The battle to free millions from the chains of an unjust system that strips them of their dignity and humanity under the guise of a war against drugs. Part 1. The Unforeseen Consequence. The Drug War as the catalyst for unparalleled incarceration rates. To grasp the magnitude of America's incarceration surge, picture this. A country's prison population skyrockets to lead the globe, boasting a rate more than eightfold that of Germany. From the year 1980 to the dawn of the new millennium, the United States witnessed its number of prisoners accelerate from a modest 300,000 to an astounding 2 million primarily composed of people of color. In the thick of this historical quagmire is the central pivot, the war on drugs, a campaign that, while draped in the guise of combating narcotics, had less to do with drugs and more to do with an age-old specter, racial disparity. The tale begins in the uneasy 1970s when Nixon harnessed the nation's racial tensions to capture political power. Yet, it erupted into full force under the guidance of Reagan, who, in 1982, audaciously unfurled the banners of this drug war. Surprisingly, this so-called war emerged at a time when drug abuse was hardly seen as America's premier issue. A mere 2% of the populace viewed it as a pressing concern. But underlying Reagan's initiative were deep-seated anxieties. They stemmed from a segment of society, the economically distressed rural whites who viewed advancements in black civil rights with suspicion and had thrown their weight behind the president's promise of restoring order. With the stage set, the scene thrived on spectacle, orchestrated through a strategic media campaign and bolstered by a substantial influx of federal funds. Indeed, the budget for battling illegal drugs under the umbrella of the DEA mushroomed from $33 million to nearly one and a half billion dollars over the course of a decade. Initial skepticism within Reagan's own conservative ranks faced a turning point in 1985 with the advent of crack cocaine hitting the impoverished black neighborhoods hard. The resulting surge in violence and drug addiction became a fortuitous justification for the administration, which wasted no time in intensifying the DEA's efforts to amplify the so-called crack epidemic. The media didn't lag behind inundating public discourse with racially charged narratives about crack wars and crack babies, fueling a moral panic that unwittingly laid the groundwork for a draconian penal onslaught. This dark chapter demonstrates how a politically charged campaign could inflict collateral damage on societal fabrics, leading to a highly racialized and punitive approach towards an issue that might have been better addressed through public health interventions rather than aggressive law enforcement. Part 2. A Skewed Scale of Justice, the Racial Disparity in Drug-Related Incarcerations. The declaration of the war on drugs signaled an era not just of amplified incarceration rates, but of a baffling contradiction. Drug convictions surged while actual drug usage waned. 
Look closely at America's prisons today, and you'll find that their walls confine over 2.3 million individuals, a tapestry overwhelmingly woven with the threads of Black and Latino lives, arrested primarily due to drug offenses. In no other nation, not even in those ruled by the iron fist of authoritarianism, will you find such a staggering proportion of racial or ethnic minorities behind bars. In comparison to apartheid-era South Africa, modern America's incarceration rate for black people is even higher, a statistic that's as alarming as it is heartbreaking. Ponder on the destiny awaiting young black individuals in Washington, D.C. There is a staggering 75% chance that at some point in their lives, they will be entangled in the prison system. An unnerving forecast indeed. It's tempting to rationalize this by assuming there must be a just cause for these incarcerations, that perhaps black people are simply more prone to drug law infringements. But such a conclusion is refuted by evidence showing that drug-related criminal activity is surprisingly uniform across racial lines. Indeed, white individuals, particularly the youth, are even more likely to engage in such activities. What unfolds is a narrative of stark imbalance. Despite white individuals constituting the majority of drug offenders, it's the black and Latino populations who comprise the overwhelming majority of those imprisoned on drug charges. And to address the skeptics, consider one more disquieting fact. Although incarcerations have quadrupled, this seismic shift in prison populations has not been mirrored by an actual surge in crime rates. These revelations expose an uncomfortable truth about the American justice system. It's not just about the law. Further scrutiny reveals a distorted lens of justice, where race weighs heavily on the scale, tipping it away from the principles of equity and fairness. Part 3. When the scales of justice tip toward incarceration, the role of the U.S. legal system. Amidst the national landscape scarred by mass incarceration, many wonder how the United States justice system, designed to uphold fairness, has enabled such vast inequalities to persist. But beneath the promises of liberty and justice for all lies, a structure mired in excessive punishment and procedural flaws. Let's pull back the curtain on this judicial theater to find that minimum sentencing for drug violations in the US wields a heavy hand, often far harsher than those of other developed nations. For example, a first-time drug offense that might warrant probation or a fleeting jail stint elsewhere can ensnare someone in a five to ten year sentence in a federal US prison. This is not a recent development. Consider a case from 1982 where a person convicted of possessing and intending to sell a mere nine ounces of marijuana was condemned to a staggering 40 year prison term, a decision shockingly upheld by the nation's highest court. The breadth of the problem extends to those tasked with enforcing the laws. Officers wield extraordinary powers with minimal checks, allowing them to stop and search anyone on the streets. More often than not, these searches don't manifest in trials, but end with plea bargains, agreements that trade guilty pleas for potential leniency. The inherent flaws in the system pressure even the innocent to succumb to plea deals. The alternative, facing trial, brings the dual threats of unaffordable legal fees and the gamble of heftier sentences. 
The leverage to plead guilty is so immense that many resign themselves to accept blame, fearing what might come if they don't. No less than 40% of imprisoned individuals in the U.S. are believed to have pled guilty to crimes they did not commit, preferring the devil they know than the uncertain fates awaiting them in courtrooms. The portrait of a system allegedly grounded in justice now emerges as one leaning heavily towards putting as many behind bars as possible. A system where policing often pivots to punishment and trials become tribulations for those who dare to pursue them. A stark contradiction, it seems, to the ideals of fairness and due process the system is sworn to protect. Part 4. Unraveling the Roots of Racial Profiling in Drug Law Enforcement In an era where many declare a post-racial society, one might assume that the police force operates with colorblind fidelity. However, the data tells a story of disparity that begs the question, why does law enforcement inadvertently perpetuate racial biases? While proving intentional discrimination is complicated, there is compelling evidence that most individuals, police included, fall prey to unconscious biases that influence their perceptions of race. Consider a study from 1995 where participants were asked to picture a drug user. A staggering 95% envisioned a black individual, revealing a deep-seated stereotype that runs counter to the reality. Black people accounted for just 15% of drug users at that time. This implicit bias extends to officers on the beat, particularly in drug law enforcement. Unlike other crimes, drug offenses often lack an obvious victim to report the crime. Both the seller and the buyer are engaged in an illicit act, making it less likely for the police to be called upon. Enforcement, therefore, becomes proactive, relying on strategic decisions on whom to stop and search. Considering societal influences, from the crack emergence in impoverished black neighborhoods, to media portrayals of drug epidemics associated with black communities. It's not difficult to draw a line to racial profiling. Officers, wittingly or unwittingly, are influenced by these long-standing racial stereotypes, which become reflected in their operational choices on the streets. The result is a form of systemic discrimination that's not always manifest through overt racism, but through unconscious bias, that shapes law enforcement actions and outcomes. It paints a sobering picture of a justice system intended to be impartial, yet falling woefully short in the face of enduring societal prejudices, resulting in advantaged treatment for some and devastating consequences for others. Part 5. The Formidable Barriers Facing Former Inmates in a World Outside Prison Walls Emerging from prison, Former inmates confront a labyrinth of legal obstacles that only perpetuate the cycle of discrimination they faced behind bars. The narrative of injustice extends as the societal and institutional deck remains stacked against them, even after they've ostensibly paid their debt to society. Take the discouraging reality of 2008, where over 5 million individuals, having served their sentences, discovered that their past convictions barred them from basic public support, like housing assistance and food benefits. When these individuals attempt to reintegrate into society, they encounter further prejudice. Standard employment and housing application processes require them to disclose any past felony convictions, 
a checkbox that often relegates them to life's sidelines, thwarting their efforts to secure a job or a place to live. Stripping them of civic engagement, felony convictions often carry the additional punitive consequence of revoking voting rights, silencing their voices in the democratic process. And as if the external barriers weren't enough, those on parole or probation endure a hawkish level of police scrutiny, facing stop and searches at any given moment. While drug-related incarcerations have predominantly focused on minor offences, these individuals leave prison branded as felons. Take, for example, Chicago's Cook County, where 72% of drug charges result in felony convictions, despite often involving minor offences. This barrage of restrictions creates a nearly insurmountable wall for the formerly incarcerated to overcome, nudging many back towards the very system that has just released them. This forms a relentless cycle, well illustrated by a Bureau of Justice statistics study. 30% of released prisoners find themselves rearrested within only six months, and nearly 70% within three years, often for minor violations. The penal system's tail thus becomes a shadow that follows the formerly incarcerated relentlessly, entrapping them in a spiral of exclusion, surveillance, and often reincarceration. This vicious cycle exposes flaws in a system that seemingly opposes any second chance, calling into question what freedom truly means for those who have served their time. Part 6 A New Undercast Emerges the haunting echoes of Jim Crow in mass incarceration. Sifting through the evidence leads to an inescapable parallel. The mass incarceration of black Americans has morphed into a modern mechanism of social control, reminiscent of the racial castes perpetuated by slavery and the Jim Crow laws of yesteryear. Just as the United States witnessed brief interludes of black empowerment post-slavery and during the dismantling of Jim Crow, these moments of progress prompted the search for new forms of domination to maintain the racial pecking order. The response to the abolition of slavery was swift and cruel. The Jim Crow system, enforcing segregation and subjugation in the guise of separate but equal. Similarly, when Jim Crow's stranglehold was broken in the tumultuous 1960s, society did not become colorblind. Instead, the war on drugs began another chapter of systemic suppression. One might wonder why such cycles of control recur and who stands to gain from them. Historically, as with Jim Crow, the architects of mass incarceration are often found among the white elite, leveraging the fears and racial anxieties of the poor white working class to cement their own political power. It's an ancient tactic pitting the masses against a perceived dangerous other. In this case, African Americans serve as the scapegoats, enabling those in power to shift the electorate's focus from more substantial socioeconomic issues. The political script may have changed, but the actors remain the same. Where once politicians rallied support by enacting blatantly segregationist laws, the modern epoch saw them don the cloak of law and order, brandishing their toughness on crime, as a beacon for white voters. This somber panorama begs the most urgent of questions. How can society alter this grim narrative? As the past whispers its warnings, the present demands a transformation, both in consciousness and in policy, to dismantle these enduring structures of racial oppression, 
The call is clear, the task monumental. But history has taught us that change begins when individuals and communities rise to challenge the institutions that fail to honor the foundational promise of equality for all. Part 7, Confronting the Uncomfortable, the Imperative to Foster Open Discussions About Race and Justice. Confronted with the intricate web of systemic mass incarceration that is rife with racial prejudices, we are compelled to ask, how can we navigate towards resolution and reform? The challenge of dismantling such entrenched societal mechanisms is monumental, and change certainly won't sprout overnight. But sowing the seeds of progress begins with nurturing critical consciousness about the pressing issue at hand. The cornerstone of this endeavor is to cultivate an environment where discussions about race are not just possible, but encouraged. At the core of this dialogue lies the concept of color blindness, a well-meaning conviction that everyone should be treated without regard to skin color. Ironically, the pursuit of this ideal can sometimes result in a veil of silence over the underlying issues, creating an impediment to addressing and remedying unconscious biases. Studies have illuminated the discomfort, particularly among white individuals, when it comes to engaging in conversations about race. This discomfort is so acute for some that it leads to avoidance of interaction with black individuals for fear of inadvertently causing offense. Such apprehension erects barriers to open, honest discussions, discussions that are critical in recognizing and dismantling exploitative tactics used for political gains. However, awareness alone is not enough when action remains stagnant. There is a dire need for the black community alongside allies to elevate consciousness surrounding the consequences of mass incarceration. This requires a shift in focus, from predominantly high-profile matters such as affirmative action to the starkly contrasted realities faced by marginalized and oppressed groups within society. Discourse has been disproportionately skewed towards racial justice as it pertains to the upper echelons and institutions imbued with privilege. To truly address the systemic injustice of incarceration, conversations and actions must encompass the full spectrum of racial discrimination, delivering a powerful and unified exclamation that justice cannot be selective. It must be absolute and encompass all, particularly those in the shadows of privilege. Final Summary the narrative of the new Jim Crow peels back the layers of a deeply entrenched system of social control that has emerged in the post-civil rights era, primarily through the war on drugs and the resultant mass incarceration. It lays bare the truths of a racial undercaste that has been effectively created within the United States, where African Americans are disproportionately targeted and ensnared in the penal system for drug-related offenses but the story doesn't end upon these individuals' release from prison walls. Instead, a myriad of institutional barriers continues to stigmatize and isolate them, barring them from participating fully in society and perpetuating the cycle of racialized social exclusion. This summary serves as an urgent reminder that justice in America remains elusive for many, tethered closely to the enduring legacy of race and the imperative call for informed action and systemic change. It is a call for awareness, dialogue, and the dismantling of a new caste system, 
that binds the future of a significant portion of society to echoes of a discriminatory past. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.